0: Hey, everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel, the gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. continuing in our series on common challenges for Christians. And today we are doing anxiety part two. Doug, would you catch us up to speed on where we've been in this conversation so far?
1: For sure. In the last episode, we talked about anxiety and how a lot of anxiety comes from our desire to control what's going on in life, but knowing that we actually don't have control. There's this sense that there could be a storm on the horizon uh, and uncertainty towards the future. Doesn't feel great for us. I was watching a commercial recently for Chase Credit Cards and it talks about your ability to know if something is off with your spending and getting alerts right away. And the tagline is control feels good. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's true. Control feels good. But the reality of life in a broken world is that I am not in control of everything. I'm not in control of actually all that much. So how do we deal with that? How do we look to the Lord and trust him? How do we be faithful in our lives? Or do we just live in this life of anxiety and try and control our future through anxiety and often we can have this ambivalent relationship with anxiety of, I don't like it, but it also allows me to feel like I've got a little bit more control. So instead of trying to use our anxiety, being friends with it, trying to make the external world match our realities, we're going to be talking today about how does the gospel address anxiety. And Greg last time talked about Matthew 6 just a little bit. So Greg, you're going to introduce Matthew 6 for us today, and we're going to use this as our main passage talking about how does the gospel lead us to address anxiety.
2: To summarize Matthew 6, the idea of it is seeking first the kingdom of God and everything. And the verse Matthew six thirty three says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. And yet what surrounds that whole idea is Christ telling us not to be anxious, not to be anxious about food, about money, about clothes, because God knows exactly what we need. And he's going to give us exactly what we need day by day for exactly what he needs us to do day by day in seeking first his kingdom. And so there's this promise for us as believers that that doesn't mean that everything's always going to go well in life or that we're not going to experience difficulty with finances or things like that. But it means that each day we have exactly what we need to fulfill exactly what God calls us to that day and tomorrow we're going to have exactly what we need and so let's let our focus in life be seeking first God's kingdom and living for him knowing God loving him and everything that we do say and think with the promise that God will give us exactly what we need in order to do that and that's just a huge stress reliever if you really believe that truth and so much of the anxiety that I can face in life can again come from the what. What if I don't have enough money or food or what if I'm not okay in the future? But God gives us promise that you'll have what you need and so seek me today. And that's been so powerful in my life when I start to get anxious because it can so easily draw me away from God and resting in God and experiencing life and joy in Christ. But I have exactly what I need to find that joy in life in Christ today so that when I get to the end of every day, I don't have an excuse for being anxious or not following God or walking with him because he gave me everything I needed that day and he'll do the same tomorrow.
0: Yeah. One of the ideas that's so good along with that, Greg, of seeking first the kingdom of God is just even what is our relationship with God and the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew 6, Uh, before some of the passages we're going to talk about, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Christ, you know, teaching from the mountain and just an incredible sermon as a whole. And we're going to be mining a lot from there. But in Matthew 6 is where we're given one of the places we're given the Lord's Prayer. And in there it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it, it goes on. But That idea of seeking first the kingdom of God, we're praying that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done here on earth, in our lives, in our world, as it is in heaven. But even just the way it starts is so helpful in helping us know how we live in the kingdom. It's our father, our father in heaven. And that idea of God as our father is going to be so foundational for how much of Matthew 6 is going to address anxiety. Because how do we seek God's kingdom? We seek it as children of God. We seek it as um, children in the kingdom who have a father who has all spiritual riches, all blessings, and is able to provide for us what we need. And that's going to be the foundation for a lot of what's said of, hey, don't don't worry about these things because you are children of your father. And again, I mean, we, we go back to this idea of just kids. And I think it's helpful as you guys have kids to continue to see this played out. But I think of for Doug, your daughter, Ruth or Jackson or Wesley or Owen, it's like, they don't, they don't need to worry about being provided what they need in their homes a meal. Cause you are like good fathers who care for them. Like you're going to feed Wesley tomorrow. You're going to take care of them. And we do that as imperfect pictures of our father in heaven. And I think that. That's just a cool picture to begin to look into. What does it mean to really understand as we address anxiety, seeking for us the kingdom of God and knowing that in that kingdom, in God's kingdom, we relate to him as our heavenly father. And I think that's going to be foundational for a lot of what uh, is going to be addressed in Matthew six. And so we're going to walk through this framework of head, heart, hands as we've been doing. And let's start with just this head. So what are some of these foundational realities and foundational truths that we are to know, about god our father about the kingdom of god about life in the kingdom that would free us from some of these burdens of anxiety that we really fleshed out in the last episode yeah
1: yeah along the lines of things for us to know to believe in our minds We want to see the context of this. Like you were saying, Mark, that God is our father. And Greg, as you had mentioned earlier, that we are made to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and understand like God has actually made us to represent him, to be his image bearers, to live for him in the world. And if we're not living according to our design, there's going to be problems. And my anxiety could be an indicator like that light on the dashboard, the check engine light, that something is off and what I'm living for. Verse 24 of chapter six says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So it may be that the anxiety that's provoked and brought about in my life is because I'm trying to serve money and serve the Lord. Or other times it's, I'm trying to get the approval of others, or I'm trying to make sure that I have security in a lot of different ways. And that might be what my anxiety is coming from, from treasuring something else, seeking something else before the kingdom. So verse 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if I'm treasuring wrong things, there's likely going to be anxiety provoked
0: in my heart because that's not what I'm made to treasure. Yeah, I think that's so accurate. I I think we could probably sympathize with that in a lot of different areas. When we get our focus on the wrong things, we have the wrong value, whether that's just in your image or whether that's in money, finances. like we, We know that financial security and being at peace with finances, they don't always overlap. Like you can have a lot of money and be completely insecure about finances. You can be insecure and not feel like you have enough, or you can be poorer and feel like you have riches. And a lot of it is actually not so much about externally, how much money do you have, but what is the condition of your heart towards treasure, towards money, towards possessions, towards these things. And I think that's helpful to know from the outset that a lot of our issues come from a wrong focus and getting our eyes off things. And I've I've noticed that in my own life. If I have my eyes on the wrong priorities, on the wrong things, if those things become my treasure, it's really anxiety provoking. I think it's really interesting how Jesus tells us in verse 19 of chapter 6 to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but instead we're to put them in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, thieves don't break in and steal. And it's funny because earthly treasures, earthly money, earthly whatever it might be, we're anxious about the moth and rust destroying, the thieves breaking in and steal. We're anxious about losing things because we can lose those things because those things are uncertain. It's not wrong to have those things. We actually should steward the things we're given, but when those become places of, our peace and our shalom like freedom from anxiety like that actually is always seemingly problematic which is why you can have millions of dollars and be discontent with wealth it's not based merely on what you have but on where your focus is
2: I think the one perspective that's been helpful lately that applies to thinking about money and finances is it falls under the umbrella of seek first the kingdom of God and often what we try to use, we try to use those areas of life almost as a way to control things or to be financially secure or get rid of our need for God and trusting God. But, when we think about everything being about seek first the kingdom of God, then it kind of shifts that so that money then becomes a tool. And how can I even use money? How can I use finances? How can I use circumstances? Um, how can I use all these other areas of my life instead of to control things? But how can I use it to advance the kingdom of God? And that's been a helpful perspective lately to think about those as a tool rather than something that is going to control you or you're using to try to control things around you.
0: Yeah. Sometimes people will talk about how if you elevate a gift or if, Piper are probably talking about gift above the giver, like then that's wrong. You're missing the perspective. The giver is God. The gift is what he's given us. But also I think like if your tool, the tool that is meant to see, serve the kingdom becomes your kingdom, like then at the same time, like that's going to things are going to get out of whack. If you're if the tool becomes your priority, your treasure all of a sudden it's not going to be able to be used freely as a tool. You'll be afraid of losing it. And money is a great gift, but a terrible God. And it's (laughs) just a, just a reality. And uh, it's easy for us to get confused about that. And one of the reasons likely Jesus talks about money so often in the scriptures is because it is such a place where we can try and find peace, security, comfort in this life. So moving into six twenty-five to
1: 33, Jesus tells them, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink. And it's helpful to remember that many of the people that he would have been talking to would have been day laborers who earn enough money for food and drink for that day and maybe a little bit more. This is a very practical daily reality for them. And so often... I'm nervous not just about today, but about tomorrow and about years and years ahead. But Jesus says later in this passage, to let the day's troubles be enough. Tomorrow will have troubles for its own. So I don't need to borrow anxiety for the from the future, but to trust the Lord today and to not be anxious. But then he just says, don't be anxious. Like, well, if, when I'm anxious, I know I'm not to be anxious. So how... Does this help me? And then he begins to tell us truths that actually could lead us to not be anxious. And one of the truths is he says, look at the birds. They don't worry about the future. They are not sowing seeds to gather them in the future. And yet your father feeds them. Don't you know that you have more value than the birds? If God cares for the birds, of course, he's going to value you as his child, as his image bearer. And then I love what Jesus says after that in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So first he says, you don't need to be anxious because the father cares for you. And now he says, don't be anxious Because it doesn't help. (laughs) And I think I need to believe my anxiety does not actually serve me. I need to fight my ambivalence of liking anxiety, not liking anxiety, and really believe that it doesn't serve me. It doesn't actually help me. I can't add a single hour to my life. I can't add a hair to my head. I can't add an inch to my height to really
0: believe that my anxiety isn't a servant. Doug, I've often thought at times when Hannah and I have been kind of tired in the last season and, you know, just with a lot of work going on for both of us and things. And I've often thought, man, I just wish I had like an extra day this week that I could just rest. And it's really funny because in a sense, I mean, we have 365 days in a year, 366 on a leap year. And, you know, that's when you get that extra day, but Every, like, every moment I have, like, I'm still, like, if I had an extra day that was just totally off, like, it would be so easy for me to fill it and to do things on it. And even just the idea of, like, God's actually, like, given us the idea of a Sabbath. Like, he commands in the Old Testament that people are to take one day a week and they're to not work. And how incredible of an idea is that, that God is planning rest into um, the foundation of The way is people are to have rhythms in their life. And we'll talk about that when we get to the hand section, I'm sure. Uh, But just this idea of, man, if I could just have a little bit more time, if I could have a little bit more time, I can so easily resonate with that. But I also know, again, that what we're talking about isn't just some external problem with the world. Like if you gave me a 10 day work week, I could still fill that with my anxiety. Like I would have no problem doing that. And so if there's going to be actual change, there's going to be a change in perspective that would allow us to relate differently with our anxiety, with our work, with what we are going about as people who are servants, children in God's kingdom. And that perspective that God
1: actually cares and actually provides.
2: Yeah, well, this is a little bit random. It's kind of like my backpack theory. In college, I would always have a small backpack because I just realized that, no matter how big of a backpack people had, it was always just filled to the brim with stuff. And <laughs> everyone just fills their backpack and walks around with a filled backpack. So I just had a small backpack because I knew, okay, I can probably get what I need in here, but if I have a big backpack, it's always going to be full of like huge textbooks and computers and stuff that I don't actually need throughout the day. And it's just going to be this burden that I'm carrying around with me and lugging around and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> causing scoliosis. <laughs>
1: Which is a wise thing to have a lighter backpack when you've actually got a lot of back issues. So I've done that as well. Of course, like I just need to carry a smaller backpack.
2: (laughs) I only buy small backpacks. That's a life hack.
1: (laughs) The most helpful thing in our hands section so far (laughs) get a small backpack.
2: And just even to kind of conclude that passage is that at the very end, it says, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so this isn't saying just don't care. Don't do anything in life. And you don't need to worry and be unwise and not taking intentional steps and working every day as God calls us to work and put our hands to something and make it fruitful. But it What it's saying is there's going to be things to worry about tomorrow and things to do tomorrow, but today has things to give yourself to, and God will give you, again, what you need for today. So don't worry about the cares of tomorrow, but just faithfully pursue God today uh, and complete what you need to for today, and tomorrow you can do what you need to tomorrow. That's actually been a pretty... Practical. I know we're not in the hands yet, but it's been a pretty practical thing for me just to think about that with the worries I have. Like you know, what today I feel like I did what I needed to to be faithful to God, and tomorrow I'll try to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, even just thinking through, is this thing that's causing me anxiety something that I can stop and address today and trust the Lord in? Or is it something that I really don't have control over? It's a concern about the future that there's nothing for me to do with it. If that's the case, I might need to just tell the Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm anxious about. But this seems to be an anxiety for the future. If there is something for me to do with it today, help me to know that so I can actually go about it. But
0: it is so easy to borrow anxiety from the future it's easy to kind of just live on the anxiety of the future. Like we said, like there's, is there a storm coming from Max Lucato? That was the illustration he gave. Is there a storm coming? And if if I'm constantly anxious about what might be, then I'll constantly be prepared. But in reality, you're just constantly tired and drained and it doesn't really help. But yeah, I think it's easy to kind of have anxiety be our fuel, like we said, and to live on the anxiety of what might be tomorrow. And I've shared this before, but You know, if if you, like you're saying, Greg, if you have a big, big list of things you're planning to get done and you get to the end of the day and you don't get that done, there is a question of like, man, okay, is God going to give me the grace I need each and every day? Because you may be faithful, 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 and unable to do the things that you need to do. And that perspective of, okay, well, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Because God will provide what you need. sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself. There's just some really helpful promises and realities in those sections that do just offer through Christ a different way of living, different way of life that we want to live into and to experience. Because this is so freeing of a reality that we're being told right here.
2: Yeah, it's crazy that God tells us we like really don't need to be anxious. (laughs) And again, we mentioned this last time, but that's something that I can really submit to and come under the authority of scripture and say, this is what God's given me to not be anxious today and to pursue him. And I need to trust him that I can do that, even though you know, everything in me screaming that I need to be anxious. I can say, okay, I'm not going to listen to that voice. I'm not going to submit to my own thoughts and feelings, but I'm going to come under the authority of scripture here and say, God, I'm going to trust you today.
1: One way that this really hit home for my heart was actually in a seminary class a couple of years ago, because we were looking at this whole passage and then went to Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. And I began to realize what these verses are saying I'm doubting, and that actually made me really sad, so I'm going to read these verses here and then explain how this really hit home for me, but it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And what it's saying here is if we as fallen, broken, finite people know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our heavenly father, of course, we can trust him. Of course, we can rely upon him. He is good and he is God. And he has all of the riches in the world. He's got all of the wisdom. He's got all of the power and he's for us and he cares about us and wants to give us not just the things that we're after, but actually the better things. He's not about giving us a scorpion, even though I may really want a scorpion. He wants to give me (laughs) what's actually good. And sometimes, like, even what Ruth desires, I can look at that and think, that would actually be really bad for you. And it makes her angry at me at times. It makes her sad that I don't give her what she wants. But because I know as her dad that I want to give her better. And she's (laughs) one. And my wisdom far exceeds her. How much more so does the wisdom of God exceed mine? But it made me sad as I was reading this passage because I was... In a season of feeling really anxious, what I began to realize is all of the anxiety that I have about the future is because I'm actually doubting that God really is a good father. Do I really believe that he loves me and that he is for my best? And I had to sit there and realize in the middle of this class... I don't think I am trusting that right now. I want to trust that, but right now I am anxious about many things because I'm doubting that God really does care for me. Lord, would you help me to believe that you really do care, that you really are a good father? And that was part of how this really hit home with my heart recently.
2: And I love the idea there, too, that God's totally sovereign. and He really is in control of all of these circumstances that we're going through and the things that we feel out of control in.
0: Yeah, I love the line. It's so helpful. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And. I mean, you could look at a passage like this and you could take some offense and say, if you're e- evil, what? But to think about the what's really being said here, like, we are the imperfect father. Like, I'm not a father, but we are the imperfect fathers. Like, we are the imperfect parents. We are the imperfect, like, we struggle in sin. And yet, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts, like you said, Doug, how much more this goes back to an illustration we were talking about even lately, Greg, like if you were to let your, the kids run the run the show and just do whatever they want, it would last, you know, 10 minutes and then chaos would ensue. But <laughs> as you said, Doug, like the difference between us and God is greater. It's greater. Like it's not just a maturity of give it a few years. It's a categorical difference of like the God and creator of all things the sustainer of all things. And that's an incredible assurance when we actually press into that and think about what the implications of that are for us. And I just think of the way that it's so hard. And Greg, I think you've talked about this, but the way it's so hard sometimes to realize how great these realities of scripture are. Like, what is this reality for us? The God who made all things is truly our heavenly father, who is working in all things and through all things for our good. And he will give us what we need at the time, combining some Romans eight and there and some other places, but mm-hmm. just incredible promises, incredible truth. That man, if we could wrap our minds and hearts and hands around that, if we could live by that, that that would be a, a foundational shift and something we're growing in and wanting to grow in.
2: And it's just incredible that we can live by that. Like that's just not something that we have to say and then say, Oh, it's like impossible to live that way. We really through the Spirit of God are able to grow and believing and trusting in those realities and living in the joy that is in scripture available to us and the peace and the rest.
0: Yeah. Christ didn't say this with the expectation that we would just brush it off and say, ah, we'll never be able to live up to that. But it's like, this is actually hope life that he's putting in here, you know, giving to us that we would know the way the world really works. Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, that how the
1: world works, Jesus promises us that we'll have trouble in the world, but to take heart because he's overcome the world. And so often our anxiety is because we don't want to face trouble, but I want to trust in the goodness of my Father, even when I'm facing trouble that I don't understand, that He's actually good and that He's present. And to believe that Jesus has actually walked through trouble, hardship, difficulties, persecutions. And he's been there and he's sympathetic and present with us and wo- and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And if I can know those things and believe those things, even if I don't understand what's going on in my circumstances, there's hope and there's peace because Jesus will not leave us. He will not forsake us.
0: So as far as the heart goes, really I think what we're saying is you could summarize what should our heart posture be? How do we live into this reality? It's just embracing the truth that we are God's children in his kingdom, that he is our loving father who provides what we need, that he is not withholding good from his children, but he is working for our good. Think about passages like Romans 8 that talk about how God's working all things together for good, along with a passage like this that says, You know, He's going to give you what you need, that He's a loving Father who wouldn't withhold the good that you need. And I think that those that we get encouragement there and just knowing, okay, ultimately, what is our heart posture then? Our heart posture is like a child, and maybe even tying that with receiving the kingdom of God, like a child coming to the Lord, knowing our need and living out our dependence and faith in him as children of the kingdom. So then switching to hands as this final section, what insight would you guys have on practically living out these realities? So if the had re- held realities were to seek first the kingdom of God because we're children of God and we're embrace that truth with our hearts, what does this look like lived out w- with our hands or to mix the metaphor again? How do we put legs on this?
2: Yeah, I, Hopefully this isn't too theoretical, but I think that for me, what's really been helpful late with anxiety is first identifying why I'm anxious, then confessing my anxiety if it's rooted in sin, which it usually is for me, and then uh, really believing that what God has is greater than what I'm settling for in my anxiety. And so, for instance, with a lot of times I'll be anxious about ministry and putting on events and wondering, well people come or how will this go or what's our ministry going to look like a few years down the road. And there's a healthy spot to that, but the anxiety is usually tied to my significance and purpose and thinking if I, If things don't go as I'd hoped, then it's a reflection on me. And if things do go well, then it's a reflection on me and people will see me a certain way. And so at the core of what I'm doing there is I'm trying to find significance and purpose in the way I'm viewed by others and in my reputation. And I'm really trying to seek my own glory and not God's glory at the root of that. And so that's something I need to come and I need to confess and say, Lord, I'm seeking my glory, more concerned, not about what John the Baptist says, that he must increase, I must decrease, but I'm more concerned about finding my own purpose in people's eyes, and so then I repent and believe that Christ really has covered that on the cross, and he has taken my sin, and then I believe that what God has is so much greater, and it shifts my motives, like, okay, I don't want to think about this in a way of, like, how can people view me based on how it goes well or doesn't go well. I don't want to think about myself, but I want my desire in this to be that Jesus is lifted up. And I find that there's so much more joy in that. As John the Baptist even says in that same passage in John 3, that, that his joy is increased and his joy is full as Christ is lifted up and his even as his earthly ministry is kind of going away. But his greatest desire to see Christ lifted up. So I shift my desire and suddenly that just relieves the anxiety because it becomes more about just Christ being lifted up.
1: I do find it helpful to just pray and ask the Lord, what is going on underneath this? Is there something else that I'm loving? Is there something else that I'm desiring that I just don't understand? Why is it that I'm anxious? What am I trying to control? And then as I begin to see what I'm trying to control, whether by journaling, talking to other people, or in prayer, it helps me then to take that to the Lord and trust him with it. Another practical thing is to just take care of our physical bodies. Our bodies are not separated from our emotions, but we are physically embodied creatures. So there's grammar rules, sleep well, diet exercise if we're not doing these things there's a likelihood that anxiety is going to be a result of just not caring for our bodies if i'm trying to overcome my lack of sleep by draining coffee down my system it's going to produce anxiety sometimes even like this week i've had a ton of caffeine and then i was super anxious because i also didn't eat anything in the morning like oh it's a physical response to all of this caffeine that's bringing up this emotion of anxiety so one thing we can do is cut down on coffee we can stop and take deep breaths and just realize that there's a lot of the things that we're wrestling with that actually have a physical component to it that we need to take care of our bodies
0: yeah it can be really easy to not think of yourself as a physical creature or to think that the spiritual thing to do is to not care for the physical needs or respond to the physical needs. And there are absolutely disciplines that can be related to um, depriving yourself physically of pleasure. I mean, they're fasting. So those are real. Those are good. Those are healthy. Fasting can also be very healthy for your body as a whole. But it's helpful to remember that God, like you said, intended us to be physical creatures. And I mean, think about if you're anxious and you're grieving and you're struggling with something. And if you sit in your house all day on social media and eat poorly, like, of course, like that's going to provoke your anxiety. It's going to make um, your mental health just go down even more. And it can be um, a really unhelpful way of pushing down the issues that we are Walking through, dealing with. And so to know the physical issues that we have, that can be really important.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important to get some exercise. One of the ways I've heard it said is that even going outside and being in nature is an antidote to anxiety. Because we step outside, we can look at the stars, look at the trees, and be reminded of the bigness of who God is in creation. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made these hills, who made the sky, who made the stars. And there's something about creation that reminds us of the bigness of God that can give us peace in our anxiety.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really helpful. And then, I mean, like you said, the sleep diet exercise, just what happens on hormonal levels. And I think, again, those aren't just some cosmic mishap. God, God, designed and intended that we would have, that we'd be physically embodied creatures, that we would experience those things, that we would sleep, eat well, exercise. Those those things are intentional steps of faith. And one of the things I've encouraged students in as I've gone through a mental health series is talking about how we do everything by faith. And so to not separate the idea of, oh, I'm going to go to the gym now. So I don't do this by faith. I read my Bible by faith, but no, no, like actually you can do whatever you're doing as a spiritual act of worship. If you go to the gym, if you receive a good meal, if you get a good night of sleep, like do those things as an act of service to the Lord. And so it's not to divorce the most of our lives from the spiritual activities we do. And I think as we do that, we can see that these are areas where God has given us grace. He's given us what we need. And Like we had shared that there's uh, at times need for medicine when we're talking through mental health issues. There are reasons that anxiety might be provoked and some of them are going to deal with your own uh, spiritual realities of wrestling through truths about who God is. But then there's also going to be times where physically things are off and need to be addressed medically because there are chemicals, there are biological rhythms, there are all these things that relate to anxiety and So again, having this nuanced approach to anxiety where we don't say that these things are done by faith. If you pray, it's done by faith. Like, absolutely, it is, amen. But for some people, taking medication is going to be a step of faith. For some people, going to the gym is going to be a step of faith. For some people, changing up their diet is going to be a step of faith. For some people, getting counseling is going to be a step of faith. For some people, telling a friend about the anxiety in their heart is going to be a step of faith. And so it's not to... It's not to divorce those things from the walk that we have with Christ, but to see those things as grace that God gives us, areas that we can really honor him, and to feel freedom as Christians to walk by faith and to take the steps that we um, need to be taking to grow and mature in these areas. Another practical thing
1: is to get healthy rest in our lives, even to embrace some boredom some time where nothing is going on, imagine if you were under a strobe light and it's just constantly going off, 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 off all the time, how anxious you would be. And yet we often have our phone constantly in our pockets, ready to go off, ready to go off. I just take a minute where I don't have anything going on. I pull out my phone and I've got this light coming in distracting me, constantly filling me with information, info that's often tragic and horrible. And there's this, this constant glut of information, constant glut of entertainment. If we're living with that, of course, there's going to be this anxiety that's provoked. We need actual rest. We need actual breaks, healthy boredom. And part of being human is to realize i actually need rest. So one practical thing for me is am I actually taking a Sabbath? Am I taking one day a week to not do any work? It's interesting how much a Sabbath we can treat as if it's a burden when God tells us, hey, take one day of the week, don't work and worship and enjoy me and be with my people. And I respond to that like, no, if I do that, I won't be able to get done everything that I'm responsible for, Lord. If I actually try and take a day off, I won't be able to follow you. It's like, oh no, all of a sudden, that's really a spot of arrogance for me because because God has made me to need sleep, to need rest, to even need that time to stop and be with him. And if I feel like, I've got too much to do. I need to repent and trust the Lord. And then I also have to see, maybe I'm taking on too many things or maybe in my other six days of the week, I'm not working well enough. But for me, even this last year, it's so easy now between being a dad, working on seminary and working on campus to think I've got so much to do. I can't take a day off but it's actually been really refreshing to start consistently using a Sabbath where I'm just not going to do any work. And it's been a huge blessing and
0: I really need that. Yeah. Yeah. I I need that as well. And I have tried to implement that at different times of ministry. And I've, especially recently, Hannah and I have tried to do that together. Um, lately I've been struggling A little bit. I mean, as in the past few weeks, um, but having a day fully set aside to say I'm not going to work on this day is so healthy for me and um, love being able to do that and really do benefit from that and can absolutely agree. And to have that day is one where you are not just zoning out. It's not just a Netflix binge, (laughs) not (laughs) there's something wrong with watching a show, but having space, like you said, to really reflect, to really focus on the things that are most important. For me, I, just being with friends is so helpful, being with people who I know and love and care for, being intentional in some of those areas. If I can get to the gym, that helps me. And I know people are going to have different things that are very wrestle for them, but finding ways to honor the Lord in that day is so so worth it, so helpful, and want to make that a lifestyle for myself as well. Yeah, healthy rest is a big deal. I think
1: even this last week, I've gone on three walks that I haven't been listening to a podcast and just walking and pushing my little daughter in her stroller and just thinking or praying or let my mind be blank. I've taken a shower without YouTube going on. I've actually, I haven't gone to bed without listening to... Or without reading an article on my phone. So that one I do need to change. Um, But to do a few of these things, like to go to the bathroom without scrolling, like whatever it is, I don't need this constant take of info, but to actually do a few things with quiet.
0: Why am I so anxious all the
1: time? Oh, maybe because I don't have quiet.
0: So to conclude, we've been talking about how we have a Father in heaven who cares for us, that we are called to seek first His kingdom. And the realities that are talked about in Matthew 5 through 7 and throughout the scriptures of being able to trust in God, to being able to walk with God, even through suffering and hardship and difficulty, is so encouraging for us. It's not always immediately easy, but it's so encouraging as we think of who God is as our Father, who we are as His children. And what we're called to is to live as though that were true to live out that reality, to at times to get away, to get rest, to be alone with God, to be with God's people, to worship with them, to take intentional steps, to exercise responsibility over the areas of dominion that God's given us, whether that just be sleeping well, taking care of our body, um, taking care of our physical and emotional realities. Those are all parts of what it means to steward what God has given us. And in, in all of that, we are given the confidence that God will give us what we need each day to walk with Him. So we hope that there'd be just encouragement in knowing that God is a loving Father. We are continuing to walk about through the trials and the difficulties of life. We will not arrive at the full end of our struggles with anxiety in this life, but there is real hope in knowing the truths and the promises of God's word for us today. And so would we live into that? Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.